to have you all here with us this morning. Thanks for joining us at Three Trails. If you happen to be a, uh, a first-time guest with us this morning, we're excited that you're here. I'm going to transition over to the other mic. Um, I get to play double duty today, which is, you know, good for me, maybe not for you. Um, let me just rewire myself. Give me just a second. Okay, we're good to go. Well, I hope that um, I hope you're here this morning and you're ready to hear um, what God has to say to us. Um, not that I'm not normally, and I'm lights are going to kill me, so we're going to go with the Table Rock Lake hat because wouldn't we all rather be there? Amen. Amen or oh me, we'll go a little old school Baptist there. So. Um, yeah, I'm going to just, um, I'm going to really kind of, not that I don't normally, but I'm really going to kind of come a little bit from, uh, from, from my heart this morning and from some personal stuff that, um, that I've been walking through in the hopes that um, if you're there or maybe you've been there or maybe you're going to get there, you probably will at some point, that um, these words will resonate with you and that you'll hear um, God's word um, and what he has to say to you when you hit those times. Um, don't you love it when somebody walks up to you and the first thing that they say to you is, man, you look tired. <laughs> Isn't that like the biggest blessing and nicest thing anybody can ever say? I had a water bottle up here somewhere. Do I have a water bottle up here? Well, somebody wants to be gracious. Um, yeah, I, I, that's one of my favorite things that people say to me is, man, you look tired, or hey, something wrong, or even better, you look like crap. <laughs> you just look like trash. Somebody said, uh, I, I know this is, a, this is an old horse thing, but you look like you've been rode hard and put up wet, man. What happened to you? Um, you know, and I think some of us, maybe all of us have been there from time to time. Um, I know for the last, I don't know, couple of weeks, I, I've been there a little bit myself, um, you know, we, we, we have mountains and we have valleys and we, we hit them. And sometimes the people around us don't know that we've hit. Thank you, my brother. Oh, by the way, everybody say happy birthday to Kevin Damer. That was almost planned, wasn't it? I anticipated your move. <laughs> I'd sing happy birthday, but my voice is shot. So, um, yeah, so, so uh, you know... Um, I just, I just sometimes we're there and sometimes we're not. And, um, and I would tell you that last week's lack of message and spent time in worship that we had together last week had everything to do um, with where I was mentally and where I was spiritually. And, and unfortunately, when you're, um, when you're pastoring a church, everybody just gets to ebb and flow with you a little bit. So um, we just kind of walk through the highs together. We walk through the lows together. Uh, we experience those things together. Sometimes you don't know those things are going on. I'm not one of those. I'm not one of those pastors that's not going to tell you when I'm struggling, and I'm not one of those guys that's not going to tell you when I'm not. Um, you're, you're always going to know where I am, even if even if you just can see it in my face. You always know there's something wrong with Chris when he gets quiet. Um, which, uh, if you've been around me for any amount of time at all, you know that oh, Chris is quiet. Something's wrong. And, uh, and usually that means go the other direction, um, because I, I can be a little bear-like at times. Um, zip it, birthday boy. But um, <laughs> Kevin, I think, has known me longer than anybody in the room, except for family. So, 
Um, but sometimes those things happen. And, and you know, sometimes um, it, I, it can just be ugly and, um, and we don't hide it well. And so, you know, last week's time spent in worship was what I needed. And so guess what? We got to do that together. And I hope that I, hope that, that ministered to you as it did to me. I needed, I needed some time just to sing to my Savior um, and just to worship, you know, just to, just to bow down and know that he's God. And man, I'm not, right? Um, and, and man, when we can get to that place, it's a great thing. There's, there's times I think we'd like to get off the merry-go-round. I, I called this overwhelmed, but I, I thought about calling it the merry-go-round. Um, you ever been on a merry-go-round? I, I took Maverick out to... Uh, um, Sky Zone last week, and they had the little merry-go-round thing on that you could sit on, you know, and they make it spin really fast and try to knock you off. Um, and there's times when you're sitting there and you're sitting, and you feel like somebody's got you like strapped to the bar, and you just want to get off because if you don't, you're going to throw up. Um, I, I've definitely um, have experienced that. I'm sure you have. But um, there's times when that happens. Stuff just keeps happening. Work gets overwhelming. You know, it's summer, and well, you know, kids. Um, by the way, when does school start? I'm I'm, oh, thank you, Jesus. Come, come, Lord Jesus, quickly, or come school quickly. I don't know which, but um, man, I'm telling you, um, I, I used to really be against year-round school, but I'm really thinking about putting a petition up um, and running for school board. So uh, if you're behind me, uh, we'll, we'll do that. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, maybe our finances are a bit out of whack at times. Um, maybe your spouse is a teacher and, well, you know, summer. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, you'd like for her to go back to work too or, or him to go back to work. Um, and, they're, and they'd have no desire to go back to work, right? Um, but we're officially, believe it or not, in the dog days of summer. That's actually a thing. I looked it up this week. It wasn't just a title for a Diary of a Wimpy Kid movie. Um, it really is a thing. The dog days of summer run from like the 6th of July through like the 13th of August. It's supposed to be the hottest part of the summer, which, I, you know, I, I used to really hate summer until I started spending time on the lake, but I still don't like to sweat. Um, I, some of you can relate to this, your sweaters, man. I mean, once it starts, it's a water flow and it doesn't stop. I don't know when it's going to stop because I started sweating when I walked in here this morning and somebody walked in here and said, man, it's cold in here. And I said, man, I wish it was cold in here. It's, it's never cold enough for me. Um, I'm just one of those, you know, just hot people. But we these dog days of summer. They can be kind of oppressive and depressive. I think just like wintertime, right, can kind of be that, you know, it's gray and there's snow and it's cold and we're all stuck inside. But um, I don't know. I kind of like that because I can always, you know, charge up a fire and a pumpkin spice and I'm, I'm happening. So um, I, I, the, the summer kind of gets to me, I think, more than winter does. But um, we're officially in it. And so um, if you're feeling that, that's probably why. And it's combined with a lot of other things, I think, uh, and feel and, and I think can cause us at times to be over, overwhelmed um, and anxious and, and even sometimes a little bit on the depressed side um, that we just we kind of slip into that from time to time. And and it can be a result of stuff happening around us. It may just be in a, an internal fight that we fight uh, from time to hot times that we just, man, it just hits us, right? And we just don't know why, but something's just off. Um, and we just, we're just like, man, I need, I need some like refreshment here. I need the Kool-Aid guy to walk in the door, right? And it's big bouncy pitcher and yeah, oh yeah, right? And hand me a cold cup of, of red Kool-Aid so I can get a mustache, you know? I mean, you just, sometimes you just need that refreshing and you can't find it and you can't figure out where it is. And I think there's reasons for that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at that this morning because this has been my journey over the last couple of weeks. And so as I've journeyed through that, we're going we're gonna to journey back through that a little bit this morning. But um, how do we respond when we feel overwhelmed? And I want you to just think about that for a moment. 
When you start feeling overwhelmed, what is your response? Now, there's a natural response that happens inside of us. There's a, there's a natural adrenaline. There can be a, um, even a, a, a dopamine effect at times that, that we can get um, in our bodies that make us feel overwhelmed. And that's kind of a, maybe sometimes a first clue. I know um, when, I've, when I've been in counseling and, and when I've counseled, one of the things that you start looking for when you start feeling anxious is what does our body feel like, right? What is that? Are we getting tense or... or like, do I feel like things are spinning out of control? Or what, what is that kind of my heart rate maybe racing? Um, my blood pressure goes up. There's definitely physical things that happen, right, when we get anxious and, and overwhelmed. But there's also really mental things that happen and sometimes can kind of send us to a place that we're just not really sure how to get back from. And so what, I'm, what I have looked at this week is like, how do I just not let myself get there in the first place? Right, how do I not let myself get overwhelmed? How do I put some things in place and how do I change some things in my mind and in my heart and spirit so that maybe I can prevent myself from going maybe quite so far down that road and, and, and back it up just a little bit. And so I just want to share those things with you this morning. Um, but when everything feels in chaos and you just want to get in that fetal position like Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber next to the toilet and suck your thumb, um, man, I mean, I, I, I go there sometimes. And, uh, and so we're going to just look at that. How do we respond um, is a great thermometer about how and where we really are. Um, and I don't know about you, but my typical response when I get overwhelmed is to shut down and shut in and close out, right? So I just, I kind of internalize and, and sort of just step back from everything and um, get quiet. And, um, and that's, not the best, that's not the best approach, so that's not the approach I'm suggesting this morning. Um, I'm going to suggest a couple of different things um, that are really, that, that fly in my face and flew in my face as I was studying God's Word this week. But it just tells me I've got a high fever, Something's up, right? I'm sick. There's something's happening that I need to look at. And so let's take a look at Scripture uh, has to say this morning. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke 17 with me. Uh, we're going to start in verse 11. It's on the screen as well. I know Brian said this before, and I didn't even bring my own Bible up here with me. But and if, you have a, if you don't have a real Bible, get one. If you need one and you want one, we'll get you one. Um, there's just something about holding a real, a real Bible in your hands versus your phone, although I, I, I do like the technology version of that. However, where was Mickey Mouse when the lights went out? Where are we when the lights go out? We don't have our stuff, right? We, all we got is our Bibles. So let's take a look. Verse, uh, Luke chapter 17, verse 11 says this. Now on his way to Jerusalem, this is Jesus. Uh, he traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, leprosy is devastating. And there's, I've got something that they're going to put up on the screen that you'll kind of get a view of. And I don't know that I really grasped how devastating um, leprosy can be. There should be, a, there should be a video there, I think. There it is. Um, some of these pictures are gross. Uh, but it shows up. Uh, about five, ten years after infection, it's mostly really in third world countries anymore, uh, but it attacks a nervous system. You, feel, you lose feeling in your extremities. Um, you begin to lose those extremities. You deform and swell, um, and it's devastating. And even to this day, you're shunned. Um, and so it's not just devastating physically. It's devastating physically and emotionally in really every way that it can be. And relationally, there's, there's no cure um, it can, you're, you're removed and put outside of town. It can be treated, but there is no cure. Um, you can't touch anyone, your wives, you can no longer hug your children, you're separated, you're financially ruined because you can't work. Um, 
You're forced to beg spiritually. You can't go to church. You can't be around other people. So you're very much isolated when you get this disease. And it's still very much that way. There are treatments for it, but there is no cure. There's a vaccine that's being worked on, but there's nothing going on for these 10 men. I mean, just absolutely nothing that are standing at the gates as Jesus comes into town, except this one thing. And I love these two words, and I say them almost every time I preach, and you're going to know what they are, but God. I love those two words, right? But God. There's always a but. Um, there's always a reason why we can have hope. Um, they, have the, they, they did have this one thing kind of working in their favor, and that's that um, they were in the right place. Um, they happened to find themselves in the town where Jesus was coming. And whether they heard about his coming or not, they met him at the gates. And so there was definitely an anticipation of his presence being there. They were in the right place at the right time and found themselves right there next to Jesus. And so the question becomes, where should we find ourselves when we get overwhelmed in every way that those men were? Well, the answer is, it's simple and profound, but next to Jesus. Some of you may say, well, it's just not that easy. And you're right, it's not. It's not that easy to just step back and say, well, I'm just Jesus. It's not, it's not that easy because you can't just sit in your house and do it. You can't just sit in your house and get right with, with Jesus. You can't just sit by yourself and have that happen. And so I'm going to unpack that a little bit. It's really all about our choices in those moments. You know, do we choose to isolate and shut down and get angry and frustrated? And it's impossible to be in a good place when that's where we find ourselves. And so if you're taking notes this morning, this is kind of the first thing. It's be in the best place. We need to find ourselves in the best place. Now, I'm going to sound like a church guy here this morning, which I know is funny. Um, but we're going to talk about where that best place is. Um, and that's in the presence of Jesus, specifically to press into the, God's people and the church. To find ourselves not just in the presence of Jesus, but in the presence of others where Jesus is present. The scripture says, where two or more are gathered, there I am as well. So there's power in numbers, right? There's power in getting outside of just myself and functioning within kind of my own overwhelmedness versus allowing other people into that state of mind and into that place where I am and allowing them to help pick me up off of the floor, right? Um, it's so much easier to get up when you've fallen when somebody else can grab your hand and help you up. And that's what a family is. And that's why we talk about every Sunday here, we, we say the words, welcome home, because we want this to be a home. We want this to be a place where you can press into others, regardless of what's going on in your life. And you can find accountability and you can find love and you can find support and you can find people who have been there too and aren't going to judge you. And if you find somebody here who judges you, you better tell me about it because I'm going to kick them out the door because we do not judge in this place. We are all broken. We are all fallen. We've all got stuff. All of us, every single one of us, no matter how great things are going, there is still stuff that surrounds us and go on in our, goes on in our lives. And so we have to be a part of a place where we can put all of that judgment aside and we can put all of those pretexts aside and we put all that gossip aside and we can put all of that hatred aside and we can be in a place that's safe, a place where we can share our hearts and our lives and our hurts and our fears and our tragedies with one another, and walk together in those places. And so we have to be in that best place together. And it's all about the choices that we make when we get in the middle of those things, whether it's because of our health, or our job, or our kids, or our finances, or our school, or whatever may be going on around us, we have to press into the presence of Jesus. And the one thing that I find myself doing when I get overwhelmed is completely the opposite. My natural tendency is not to press into other people, because I don't like to be the center of attention in that way. I don't like to people to know that I'm struggling. And I think that's a guy thing. That's probably one of the like three guy traits I have. I don't know, I don't have very many. 
Um, I mean, the guy sings in the stratosphere, but he's got like two guy traits, so it's okay. I'm still identifying as Chris, but, um, you know, it's, I think that's normal for us as guys, right? We just, we kind of go, you know what? I'll fix this. I'm a fixer. I'll take care of it. I don't need anybody's help. I got this. It's all good. And pretty quick when we start feeling like that, we start finding ourselves like in a hole that we can't dig ourselves out of until we start pressing into some other people and, and sitting down with somebody and calling a buddy and saying, hey, can we go, can we go up to Johnny's and grab a Coke and talk, man? Because I just, I need to walk through this with somebody. I need some accountability. I need some help. I just need, I just need to puke all over you, you know, right? I just need to, I just need to let you have it so you can, so you can support me. I think we all get there from time to time, but it's very, it's very opposite of really what our world teaches us, and especially in COVID and post-COVID, because we all got all about ourselves, like, it's all about me. I mean, our world's always been all about me, and Western society's always been that. But man, I mean, our culture is all about me. Everything's about me. Um, and and if, uh, it's, it makes it even harder, I think, to get outside of that, because now everybody else is about me, too. Right? So we're just a whole bunch of me's walking around, and we all need we instead of just me. Um, I know I do. Um, and I'll just tell you, I mean, I, I, I've been in a place of being overwhelmed as a parent. Anybody been there? Son, it's ugly. Don't have kids. Oh. I even get overwhelmed as a parent for Rachel, as the girl I'm with for her, her kids. Like, you just get overwhelmed with children. They're just overwhelming um, sometimes. And it is really easy to get in a place where um, we can feel like a failure, where we can feel like Man, I have, I have blown this. Um, I read in a, there's a, a few men that are doing a, a Bible study together in version um, that Chris Huey threw out a couple of weeks ago. And, and one of them was talking about um, how we, how we kind of get in this, this looking at everybody else kind of thing and, and how we, we kind of get stuck. Um, and and, I, and I, I look in the mirror when I get up in the mornings and at times I just think, man, what are you doing? Because here's the thing, I, I raised what I would say some pretty amazing girls, um, and I don't take a whole lot of credit for that. I put that back on their mom. Um, and so w- I raised five girls with a wife and a mom, and then the script flipped because apparently God's got a really funny sense of humor, and now I'm raising a boy by myself. Um, so like, it couldn't be more opposite than what it was, and there are times when I just feel without a compass. I mean, I just, I feel lost, um, and it gets very overwhelming, and, and I realize why kids need their moms and dads. You know, I realize why it's worth it to fight for our marriages, and if, you, if you're new here this morning and you, you, you don't know me or you haven't heard my story, I, I lost my wife in 2019 to some health things that had gone on for about four years, so I've been a widow since 2000, widower since 2019, so just, just for context, you know where I am. Um, but you understand why kids really need their moms and dads. And, and we can feel insufficient and capable and a failure. And I've said those words out loud. <laughs> I got spanked by a couple of people um, that said, no, you're not. Shut up. Um, and one of them sitting right there is one of my good friends, Kevin, um, said, you need to knock it off, man. Um, but, you have to be able to, but, but you have to be able to come to those people as your family and say, I need you to know how I feel. Whether it's legitimate or whether I am or not, I need to be able to share with you, I feel like a failure. 
And then you can come alongside and say, but you're not. Now, we aren't always ready to receive that, but we still hear it. And it's still there, and it's still in the back of our minds. And we, and we still can go back to that and grab it and go, man, there were some people there that spoke truth and life and love into my life. Um, we, we had a, a worship team get together down at the lake a couple of weeks ago, and not all of us got to go, but some of us got to go, and um, Maverick just struggled um, for a couple of days. Uh, the last day, we actually had a really great day, but there were a couple of days that he really struggled, and there's reasons for that. Um, and when he struggles, I struggle, which is normal, I think, for us, right? Um, that when our kids struggle, we start struggling right along with them. We want to fix it. We want to make it better, right? It's, it's, emotional stuff is, is so much worse than like a cut, you know? Uh, when Maverick comes to me and says, oh, I cut my hand. Well, I can fix that. Like, I can fix your arm if you broke it. You know, I can set that. I can probably put a cast on you if I had the stuff. Like, I can take care of physical stuff. You know, I can, Corey drops dead over here. I can probably get him back. I mean, I can fix that stuff, right? Like, I'm, that doesn't intimidate me at all. What intimidates me is the emotional stuff, right? Is the spiritual stuff, the stuff that I can't just go, there's your Band-Aid, keep going, right? That's the stuff that's hard to walk through. Um, and and as, we, as I've walked through that with him, and as we've dealt with that, because of the trauma of a, of a little boy who never bonded with his mom, um, a little boy who was passed around from caregiver to caregiver to caregiver to caregiver while we were all working and trying to take care of his mom, um, who missed some, some really important milestones um, as he was growing up from that one to five range. And, and I don't know if you've studied psychology, but a whole lot of stuff happens between one and five. And when that stuff's missed, man, you've got some serious repair work to go back and do. And, 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 and that's tough because you, it's hard to even define like what exactly is going on. And so, you know, we're in counseling together um, with Maverick and and his counselor told me this week, she, she said, you know, when it comes to things like, um, things like uh, reaction um, and, and emotionally just um, sensibility, he's about three. So when you see Maverick and you see a nine-year-old running around and you watch him melt down and you think to yourself, man, somebody needs to get after that kid. Yeah, but more than that, he's got some things that he has to walk through. And so you're looking at a nine-year-old that's functioning at a three- or four-year-old level emotionally. And so that doesn't look like normal parenting, right? That doesn't look like what we might have walked through with, our, with, our, with a kid who has functioned you know, normally as he's grown up. Now, lots of kids go through lots of trauma, and it lots affects all of us differently. And I, one of the beautiful things about psychology right now is how we're unlocking how trauma affects children and how we're unlocking how things that happen in their lives affect them as they grow up. The great thing about information is that information is what? Power, right? When we have information, we have power. So as we gain information, we're empowered to go back and help, right? And so when he gets overwhelmed, I get overwhelmed because I feel like, here's what I feel like, and you've probably been there in the grocery store when your kid had a meltdown. What'd you feel like? Tell me. Powerless. And you felt like a freaking failure, didn't you? Right? And so when he does that, I go with him. And so I yell at him because I think that's what everybody expects me to do. It's the absolute worst thing that I can do for Maverick because what counseling and what experience tells me is that I need to grab Maverick and I need to hold him. I've got to get him to a place where he can respond 
emotionally because he goes from zero to 60 like that. And then I've got this kid who you can't reason with a child that's like that. You can't, I can't tell him to calm down. It doesn't work. You can't verbalize that. You have to physically do it. And so one of the things I even learned this week was, okay, when that happens, you've got to grab him and you have to make him feel safe. You have to get him to a place where he's okay so that you can have a conversation. And some of you may have kids with trauma, so you may be learning some things this morning that I've learned as well. Um, but I have to get him to a place where I can reason with him. And then we can talk through things. And as we continue to grow and continue to learn and continue to understand where he is, I can continue to help him grow and, and, and be in a place. But I have to be in the right place, right? I have to be connected in the right place. And I have to be connected to the right people in order to do that. I need others. I need friends. I need godly counsel. I need support. Because I can either, if, if you're going to remember one thing this morning. Here's Brian's line. Remember one thing. Remember this. I can choose to isolate or I can choose to integrate. I have two choices when I get to that place. I can isolate myself and step back and say, I'll figure this out. Or I can integrate in with others and I can allow others to come along with me on that journey and love and support me as I love and support my son. So it's all about where we are. It's all about whether we choose to step back or step in. We have to be in the best place. Integrate or participate with one another to worship, to have community, to be held accountable, to be prayed for, to be loved on, to be home. And that includes serving others and getting outside of ourselves because sometimes that's the best thing we can do is to get outside of ourselves. Um, it's a lot like a life jacket. There's another video on there. This is Maverick uh, wakeboarding, which he just learned to do. If you've never, if, it's not wakeboard, I'm sorry, it's kneeboarding. Um, there's a couple different videos here. He gets pretty brave towards the end here. We're out on Palm de Terre um, a couple of weeks, well, it was about a month ago, I guess. And, um, and this, is such a, this is such a perfect thing. There's a reason we wear life jackets, right? Why do we wear a life jacket? So you don't drown, right? So you don't die, right? You know I mean, some of us can swim for a while, but eventually you're going to need a life jacket or you're probably going to sink to the bottom and die. If I drop you off five miles off of the Florida coast and I don't give you a life jacket, I'll probably see you on the other side, right? You're, you're probably not going to make it. There's a reason we wear life jackets. Maverick's wearing a life jacket. You see in these videos, he's wearing a life jacket. So we're cruising around the lake, and he's doing all kinds of fun stuff back there. You'll see him kind of get sideways here, and he's almost got a 360 down, so he's really having fun kind of behind the boat. Well, he went down and went over. So if you've never been on a kneeboard, I'm going to demonstrate, but somebody may have to help me back up. <laughs> Kneeboards, you sit like this. Okay, and there's a strap that comes over your knees that holds you onto the kneeboard. That's why you can go backwards. If you don't strap down to the kneeboard, you can't go backwards. You can't really do tricks because it'll come out from under you. Make sense? Okay. So Maverick strapped into this thing. And never once did this occur to me, but I turned around. We, we, he had fallen down. I turned around and Rachel yelled out, where's Maverick? Well, he was stuck under the kneeboard. He had flipped upside down. And when I turned around and looked, there was no Maverick. There was the bottom of a yellow kneeboard and no kid anywhere. I didn't know that Andrew's new boat could do what it did, but I, three, I 180'd and I, and I punched it and I got back over there as quick as I could. I didn't even think. I threw it neutral and before the boat even stopped, and I'm not supposed to be jumping into water, I jumped into the water and I got over him as quick as I could and got him flipped over so that he could breathe and didn't drown. In that moment, you're not really thinking, you're just responding because if I don't get over there, like, not good things are coming, 
right? And so I'm picturing, as I'm swimming over to him, I'm picturing pulling him on the boat. I'm thinking, where am I going to do CPR? Like, I mean, my mind's just running, right? Kind of, kind of that first responder, like nurse, you know, kind of mindset. And I'm thinking, I, we got to, I got to do something. So I get over to him. And by the time I got to him, he had kind of got his head up, but he kept kind of getting dunked because he couldn't get his knees out. Well, when we panic, we get tense. And if you tense up on that knee board and those straps, you just hold you in place. You can't get out. You have to be calm enough to be upside down underwater and think, I got to release this strap. So needless to say, we've been working on that. But it made me think of a life jacket, and it made me think about what it's like when we're drowning. And when we're in that situation, and we're strapped into that, to that kind of a situation in our minds, and when we get out of control, we have to have somebody come save us and flip us over. Because we can't get out of that on our own. We were never designed to function on our own as people. We are designed to function as a community. And so had I not been there, or had somebody not been there to react, or if we hadn't looked, I mean, another, you know, another 30 seconds or a minute, we'd have had a tragedy. We'd have had a whole different trip to the lake that day. And so we have to be able to call out and ask for help and, and ask for rescue. And sometimes that's when we can't call out and ask for help. Maverick in that moment couldn't scream. Maverick in that moment couldn't breathe. It took someone recognizing that something was going on in Maverick's life so that we could come and help him. And sometimes it's that way with us. Sometimes we're in a place where we can't yell out. And the only way anybody's going to know us well enough to know when we're in that place is when we press into community with others, is when we press into relationship with others, with our family and with our friends and with our church. So are we in the right place? And I'm, I'm glad that we're all here this morning because we made the right place and the right decision to be here this morning. Hebrews 10.24 says this, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. So several things here, but we're pressing one another on towards love. We're, we're, excuse me, we're pressing one another on towards good deeds. We're, we're, we're meeting together. We're spending time together. You know, in Acts 2, when the church was growing astronomically, they were meeting together daily in the temple to hear the word of God preached. If we said we were going to meet daily here, we'd probably have three people here every day. Because that's not what we do. Because for the most part, American Christianity says, as long as you go to church on Sunday morning, you're okay. I would come against that and say, no, you're not. You need to be involved in the life of a church. You need to be involved in community with a family so that we can encourage one another and live life together. Jump on down to Luke 17, 14. We're going to continue on where we are. When he saw these lepers, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, notice... What didn't happen in that moment? Jesus did not instantly heal them. Jesus didn't say, you're healed, go about your business. He told them to take a step, and he told them to take a step of obedience. He said, I want you to go to church. Go to the priests, and as you do, you will be cleansed. And that's exactly what happened. He sent them to the best place for healing. He sent them to the priest and to the church. Now, most of us would probably have healed them differently. We would have said, hey, run into town, go grab everybody, because I want everybody to see this healing so they can see how powerful I am, that I really am the Son of God, and look what I'm doing, and look how amazing I am. And I'd have brought a crowd around, and I said, okay, fellas, I want you to get down on your knees, and I'm going to abracadabra, you're healed. And they'd get up, and they'd be like, no more sins." no more sores, and they'd be just fine, right? But that's not how Jesus does things. 
Jesus wants us to walk in obedience, and Jesus wants us to walk in community. He says, go see the priests. And as they were, they were cleansed. After they took a step of obedience, after they put one foot in front of the other, they were cleansed. It took them doing something on their part. They had to do something. We pray for healing and deliverance from things. That's great. We'd like it to be amazing in right now. How many of us have prayed for a miracle, and I want it right now? right? I, it's, I, if I don't get it, I'm going to be upset. I, I don't, I'm not okay with any other thing except a healing. I want a, a miraculous, godly healing right here in place. And I believe those do happen. I believe that God still does heal. However, I believe that more often than not, God heals in a way that isn't necessarily our will, but his. Many times, what we want God to do is not what God knows is best for us. Is not what is in his plans. I was thinking of, of Linda this week. Um, Joe's mom had, uh, had brain surgery this week. If you don't know Linda, she usually sits right here on the second or third row and uh, sits with Joe and Maria. And she, uh, she had, was it Wednesday? Wednesday morning. Um, had brain surgery. They went in. They were able to get all of the tumor. They still don't think there's any cancer there. They're waiting for pathology. She came home yesterday. She's doing great. She's functioning on Tylenol. Yeah, yeah. How many of you would consider that to be a miracle? I mean, honestly, I went to the doctor and had surgery. Is that a miracle? You bet your bottom dollar that's a miracle. God has enabled us to do some incredible things through science. And sometimes, just as Linda did, we have to be obedient to doctors because sometimes we need surgery. Sometimes we need more than what we may be able to just get on our own. And sometimes God uses those things in our lives to bring about healing. Now, that's not to say that it couldn't come in a miraculous way, but often it requires obedience. And, and as Linda, for surgery in this place, as, and as we walk in and towards that obedience, as we, as we press in and do the things that we may not want to do, because let's be honest, how many of us want to go have our skull cracked open and have brain surgery? None of us. We'd much rather gather the elders around and pray for someone and pray that it was healed. But it doesn't always work that way. It doesn't always happen that way. Because God is sovereign, and God is God, and we're, excuse me, and we're not. But we continue to pray for the miraculous, even up until surgery. And I've, and I've heard stories of people who've gotten all the way into surgery to remove a tumor, and the tumor wasn't there. I've heard stories of people who've been healed on the operating table before a surgeon ever did a cut with an x-ray and an MRI that showed something to be clear. It absolutely happens, and I won't take power away from God, but I also won't take power away from the fact that many times, just as with these lepers, we have to walk in obedience. We have to take a step. We have to do and use the things that God has, has given us and allowed us to heal. It just, it'd be just like me getting overwhelmed and saying, well, I'm just going to sit here in my boat and sit in, the, in a corner and cry until God fixes this. That's not how it always works. Yeah, I need to center myself, but sometimes centering myself means entering into, into and pressing into those relationships that I have with others. As a dad trying to figure this out on my own, I can tell you that I need you. I need all of you. You are an encouragement to me. Just to sit here and get to share my life with you is an encouragement to me. This is life-giving. When I'm here on Sunday mornings and I get to work in the cafe or I get to lead worship or I get to preach or I get to clean a bathroom, I, that's, to me, that's life-giving. That's us being a family. That's what we do because, because this is home. 
I need you to support me just like you need me. I need you to call me out just like you need me. I need you to, to love on me and to love on Maverick just like I need you and you need me. It's, it's, it's reciprocal. And at the same time, I have to be obedient to him to get the support that I need professionally. I can't just come to church and hope that everything's going to get better for Maverick. He needs some help. He's got, a, he's got some things to overcome. But what I know and what Corey will tell you after spending an evening with Maverick last night, if you were ever to take Maverick home with you, most of you have seen Maverick go crazy out here. Most of you have seen Maverick have a meltdown. If you were to take him home and spend time one-on-one with that kid, he is, a, and, and this is true for a lot of kids, but he's this just totally different kid. He's the most loving, soft, huggy, kissy, I love everybody. I don't know how many times yesterday he said, Dad, you're the best. I'm like, well, I know. <laughs> it's embarrassing. I, I get it. But he is. He, he is such an encourager. And I can't wait for the day where some emotional healing and growth happens. And, and I just, I believe with all my heart that that boy is going to preach the gospel. That he's going to be a kid that encourages people because he's been there. He's going to be a kid that is life-giving. And that's what I speak over my son, right? And that's what we have to speak over our children and our grandchildren. Even as they're grown, even as I have these wonderful children that are all grown, like I still continue to speak life over them. I still continue to pray for them. I still continue to pray for their growth, especially the one that's married to Corey. And so we have to, we have to continue to love on our children. We just do. It's probably more praying for Corey than Madison. Um, so I have to walk this out, right? Recovery from stuff is not easy, and it doesn't just heal. Behaviors change. Things, things grow as we're obedient to do those things. And if I'm obedient to be in the best place and seek that support, and then I know that God is faithful, and I've said this before, but when our, faithful, when our faith and God's faithfulness intersect, miracles happen, right? Great things happen when we step forward with our faith and his faithfulness. Verse 15 says, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. There's a reason it said this. This one guy comes back and praises Jesus. One out of 10 comes back and falls at the feet of Jesus. He was not a Jew, so he was a Samaritan, which means he was the least likely that was gonna step up and thank Jesus. And he was the only one that did. Where were the other nine? Where did everybody else go? Jesus asked the same thing in verse 17. Jesus asked, were there not 10 cleansed? Where did they go? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then in verse 19, he says, then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Not only did he get the physical healing, but he also got a spiritual healing at this point. So he was physically healed, but I believe in that moment when he came back and sat at the feet of Jesus, he was also healed spiritually because Jesus said, go and walk in faith. Be different from this point forward. Walk in my freedom. Walk in the love that I have for you. And so, so, the, so we ask this question, where did everybody go? And, and, and the same experience, they all were healed. They all were on the outside of town. They were all crying out to Jesus. And this is the difference. One word, it starts with a P perspective. It's a difference in our perspective. When the nine looked, they gave cry, and cried for mercy, Jesus healed them. When the one looked, he saw Jesus and was healed. Some saw healing, one saw Jesus. Some see the fun, some see the reality, right? 
The nine got what they asked for, and the one was given more than he deserved. The nine saw a return to their old lives. They were excited because they were healed and they could go back to their old lives. The one that fell at Jesus' feet got, got more than he deserved and he got a new life given to him through Jesus in that moment. So we have to choose a healthy perspective. Where we sit determines our perspective and experience. So where you're sitting this morning depends on your perspective of what you see. Last week we had all these decorations up for VBS last two weeks ago. And if you sat over here where Kevin and Debbie were sitting, you couldn't see the screen. So, you know, we blocked off the aisles so everybody was sitting in the middle for that week so that everybody could see. Because perspective is everything. If I'm sitting on the sides and I can't see what's going on, I want to get in and get closer, right? Perspective is everything. Perspective, some say, is reality. When I sit at the foot of the cross, I see Jesus' work. That's my perspective. Where you sit in my boat, I don't know how many of you like to go boating, but where you sit in my boat completely determines the outcome and the experience you're going to have that day. So at Table Rock on the 4th of July, it's this, man. I mean, you're just getting beat, right? You're going across the waves. You're get, if you're in the front of the boat, you're just getting the crap beat out of you. I mean, it hurts. Like, I don't want to sit in the front of the boat. But if you're in the back of the boat, see what the back of the boat? It's not nearly as rough back there. It's just the front of the boat bouncing up and down. So when you ride in the back, it's not nearly as tough as riding in the front. That perspective means everything. It means whether my back's going to hurt when I get off of the boat at the end of the day. right? It also kind of depends on if I get a sunburn or not because there's a tarp over the back. So it all depends on where you're sitting and what your perspective is on how things look to you. I know more than ever that we don't have forever. I, I really try hard to see every day as a gift. I really do. I spent as much time experiencing life with my kids. I, I drove down to Oklahoma with Macy on Tuesday. It was a ridiculous trip. Um, she's like, hey, Dad, I bought tickets for Drum Corps International you know, dr- um, show in, in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. When we got to Broken Arrow. It was 70 here on Tuesday. It was 108. <laughs> I hate the heat. It was 108 degrees. They, they had kids passing out on buses that day. One of the groups didn't even perform. But Macy called and said, hey, I got a couple tickets. Would you go with me? And I didn't have time. I, I really didn't. I didn't have time to go. But you know what? I realized that time is short. And how many more times is my 21-year-old daughter going to call me and say, hey, would you go to a band show with me? We have to grab those opportunities. And a difference in perspective sometimes equals us taking some opportunities that we might not have taken before because we shift our priorities. Why dinners with everyone are more important? My, I, I'm sure that my kids, I drive them nuts. Okay, guys, what are we going to do next? When's dinner? When are you guys coming over? Like, when are we having dinner? I, I'm, I am the king, and Corey will tell you, I'm the king of, hey, what are we doing now? Hey, we're going to the lake for a week. Who's coming? Right? I mean, who's coming over for dinner? When are we all getting together? I just... I love spending time with my family. I love spending time with my kids because I know time is short. And listen, I, we talked about this in May. I know that I don't, I don't have forever promised, right? I may not have tomorrow. And I will not, I will not lay on my deathbed and look back and regret that I did not spend the time with my family and with my friends that I could have because I was doing something else, whatever that may have been. It's why dinners are important. It's why we spend time 
with our family. It's why when we feel overwhelmed, we have to change our perspective and put Jesus back at the center of our world and put church back at the center of our world. When we need hope, the only hope comes from Jesus. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. He's saying that perspective is reality. What we choose as perspective is what ultimately becomes our reality. And that changes through choice. It changes through affiliations and relationships. It changes through associations and organizations. It changes through input. It changes because our perspective changes. And it makes us look at things differently as to what's important and what's not. And lastly, we have to be in the best place and have a healthy perspective, but we also have to have optimum priorities. Our priorities have to be in the right place. Has anybody ever looked at you and said, you need to get your priorities straight? I've probably had that said to me more than I probably would care to admit when I was younger. But someone to say to you, you really need to get your priorities straight. Your priorities are out of whack and you're a freaking disaster. Anybody ever said that or experienced that or felt like that? Or wanted to say it to somebody else, right? Um, It's easy to look at other people and go, hey, eh. Um, But where we sit and what we see determines what will be our priorities. Um, You know, God, our spouse, our kids, church, myself, taking, you know, self-care. Where I put my priorities makes a difference in how I respond, and all of these things do when those situations come. Um, I may say I want more time, and I I need to spend prayer in the mornings. Um, Maybe it's a schedule uh, that we blame, but we need to be in church. Maybe I'd say, you know, I need more money, and I'll start to give, but that's not how it works. Well, little Freddie loves baseball, and he's going to be in the show someday. No, he's not. He's probably not. And what we sacrifice in our children for putting them in sports that pull them away from church, and I know I'm stepping on some toes because I'm stepping on my own, but I promise my child will never and have never been in sports that will pull them out of church and their youth group on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning, period. It's not even a discussion. If you're having a practice on Wednesday night, you're going to tell your coach you're not going to be there. If you have a game on Sunday morning, we'll be at the tournament as soon as church is over because the most important thing that I can plant into my kids' lives is Christ. That is the most important thing that I can put and pour into my child is the love of God. And the best way for me to teach him the love of God is to teach it at home and have it reinforced in community and with teachers at church. Some of you may disagree with that. Call me in 20 years. Because 90%, it's 90% of, of kids who don't consistently grow up going to church drop out by the time they're 27. Because it was never a priority. We didn't make it a priority, and whether you think they do or not, those kids watch us. And what we make a priority is what they'll make a priority, as well as the crubby parts of us that we also pass down to our kids, right? Man, where did he get that from? Well, I don't know. Have you looked in the mirror lately, Chris? Right? Um, It's important. It's critical that we raise our children in church and with others, and that they're a part of a community. We don't have a time problem, or a schedule problem, or a money problem, or a kid problem. We have a priority problem. It's not an opportunity problem. It's a priority problem. Joshua 24, 14 says this, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods, little g, 
your ancestors worship because the Euphrates River, or beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord, big L. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods, little g's, your ancestors served before the Euphrates, or the gods, little g's of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord." And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is what are our God's little G's that are pulling us away from our faithfulness towards God? Anything that we set above our relationship with God and being a part of a church family equals a little G God. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's my boat. I don't care if it's your motorcycle. I don't care if it's sports. I don't care if it's mowing the yard. I don't care if it's replacing the roof. I don't care if it's pouring a new driveway. Anything that we put above our faithfulness and our relationship to Christ and being a part of his church and community is a little G and we've replaced it in our lives. What little gods are on our priority lists? The best thing we can do is start our week in church together. The best thing we can do is to start our day in God's word and prayer. Even if it's just a, because I'm not a morning person, so I'm not a thinker in the morning either. But even if it's just a before my feet hit the floor, God, this day is yours. Use me in it. You just set perspective for your day. You just set the tone for your day. Versus, oh, let's see what's going on on Facebook this morning. Oh, look at that. Oh, there's some porn. What do you know? Right there on Facebook. Oh, look, Kevin and Deborah at the lake again. Instead, don't pick up your phone. Don't do anything except lay there for a second, get your mind woken up, and just say, God, today is yours. Use me. It sets the tone for the whole day. Just like being here on Sunday sets the tone for our whole week, or at least I hope it does. Start with prayers and thanks. Start my pay period by giving first what is God's. Start what does have to do with everything in our lives with God. Me not being overwhelmed has everything to do with where I begin. Last week at the lake with Maverick, was I, was I looking, who was I looking to for approval? Who, where I was looking for, for peace? What, was I, what wisdom was I looking for when my father knows best? What voices do I listen to? And when wasn't I seeking any of the right things? And I can tell you, the last thing that I did in those moments was seek God. All I did was got ticked off at Maverick and everybody else. Because my perspective was wrong. Even when I was in the right place with the right people, my perspective was still off. Because my priorities were out of line. And so when we feel overwhelmed, like, more is coming than we can handle. Not trying to, to make you feel any less overwhelmed this morning, but I want to change your perspective on being overwhelmed, maybe. Not overwhelmed like the nine were, but overwhelmed like the one. So I want to look at his perspective for just a second. Instead of being overwhelmed by life, being overwhelmed by the goodness of God. Instead of being overwhelmed that I don't have enough, be overwhelmed that I have what I need. Instead of being overwhelmed with the junk of life, being overwhelmed that God has my back. 
that I was separated by sin and doubt and that He saved me. That I can cry out and He brings healing and mercy and forgiveness and love and a clean slate. But the key is to be in the best place, to have a healthy perspective and to have optimum priorities. It flips the overwhelm in our lives when we get overwhelmed with Him. It changes everything. Let's pray together. Father, as we... uh, As we sit in this moment, worship team band, you guys can come on up. As we sit in this moment, Lord, um, it is incredibly easy, especially with all of the things that come into our hearts and lives, to be overwhelmed with life. But God, my prayer this morning is that um, we would find ourselves overwhelmed with your love and your grace that we could um, really step out of kind of where we are and step into a a life-giving relationship that you have for us because the truth God really is that you're a good God that you really do love us and Lord even when we feel judged or we feel overwhelmed or we feel like we can't make it, that you're right there, and so are your people. And so, God, I pray you would even change the perspective of our church to begin thinking about how important community is. Lord, even as we head towards fall and we look at life groups launching and being a part of community with others, God, I pray, man, I just, I pray for everybody in this room that they would find the time and the priority and the perspective to be a part of one. Because I know, Lord, for me, the one thing that I need when I am stumbling and falling and and tripping over myself is others. And Lord, that's what those groups are for, is for us to share life together and to pray together and to read your word together and to study who you are and as a result, who we are. And Lord, how we can become more like you and how we can support one another and how we can love one another. Lord, your greatest command was to love you and love others. God, there's nothing outside of that because when those are our priorities, Lord, everything else really falls into place. So God, change our perspective and change our minds and change our hearts that we could find that in you. Lord, we love you. We pray that in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. We're going to close with this goodness of God song because I just think it fits. And um, I hope you'll sing it with us. If you need prayer this morning, I'll be around after service. You can come up and and I'm more than happy to pray with you. And uh, if you just are kind of curious about this whole God thing and Jesus thing, just grab your connect card if you would and just make a note on there that you'd like to speak to somebody or grab me after service. We just, we want to come alongside one another as we walk in this relationship with, uh, with Jesus. Let's stand together and let's sing this together, all right?